0: Welcome to The Doctor Diaries, a podcast which will take you behind the scenes of the intriguing medical world. Join me, Hanya Rothersby, an experienced business consultant in the medical sphere as I chat to our guests who will take us through their insights, experiences and ideas as an expert, thought leader and trailblazer in this exciting medical world. to the Doctor Diaries podcast. Today, it's our absolute pleasure to be speaking to Dr. Shobhan Manaharan. Dr. Shobhan Manaharan is one of the world's leading laser dermatologists. He's well-respected for his expertise and excellence in the field of dermatology. Based in Brisbane, Australia, he is the founder and clinical director of Brisbane Skin. He was also the director of training for the Australian College of Dermatology in Queensland and consulting dermatologist for L'Oreal Paris.
1: Welcome, Chauvin. Thank you, you. Anya. Thank you for having me. It's great.
0: Yeah, my absolute pleasure. So, your, um, your CV is amazing and very impressive. So, as per all our podcasts, we like you to take you right back to the beginning and tell me your journey about getting here.
1: Oh, it's always uh, all, all of us on your part. It's it, it's interesting. I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts and everyone's got an interesting journey. And, and obviously, um, life takes you on all these interesting pathways to where you end up. Um, I started off you know, as, all through medical school, I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. Um, so if you ask any of my friends back in med school, they'll say, uh, Sherbin always said he wanted to do plastics. And when I was a junior doctor, I managed to... Uh, haggle and hustle my way into a plastic surgical term but the proviso with that was that you had to do dermatology you had to cover the dermatology board as well so there it was we covered dermatology and plastic surgery and I found myself more and more interested in the dermatology side of things particularly the fact that the dermatologists got to play with the lasers so I gradually sort of drifted in that direction uh, and at the end of that term I decided that you know perhaps dermatology was where my real passion was, and being able to utilize energy-based devices to um, make a difference for both people's medical and cosmetic conditions might be my pathway. So there I was, junior doctor, eventually got on the dermatology training program in Australia, did a couple of years here, did a couple of years in the UK, and finished off my training. So I'm an Australian graduate and fellow of the Australasian College of Dermatologists. And then I went into private practice. I, uh, I bought into a private practice in Brisbane in 2010 and uh, built a more, you know, what well, started off as a general dermatologist, but became more and more specifically involved in procedural and aesthetic dermatology. We built our clinics my, with, uh, you know, with, with that set of clinics that we had, we sort of grew it into one of Australia's biggest dermatology practices with, uh, at that point we had 10 dermatologists and a full range of dermatology services. It was a fun journey. We created a lot of uh, entities around it as well. We, we created the uh, Sweat Free Clinics, which was a, uh, a community of uh, clinics that, that provided hyperhidrosis services. We had the Psoriasis Institute. We had My Skin Pharmacy, which was uh, Australia's first dedicated skin pharmacy that, that we were involved in founding as well. So that was all built around that sort of early years, my dermatology private practice. And then in 2000, about seven years ago, uh, myself and my wife, Patricia, uh, we decided to start off a boutique clinic. So we, I still had my original dermatology practice, but we started off a what we thought would be an important niche dermatology market where we created a boutique dermatology practice in brisbane initially it was going to be purely for aesthetics and and then it grew out of control and had to service the medical side of things as well and she was a managing director and i just went in and i saw patients and played with lasers i had the easy job and we built that from one clinic to four wow um and uh, grew it into quite an interesting and large group of clinics, which, as I mentioned to you previously, I was previously director of, but uh, towards the end of last year, Trish and I um, sold it as Australia's first dermatology practice to be taken over by a group funded by private equity. So as you probably know in North America and other parts of the world, and, yeah. and certainly in other fields in, in Australia, it's not an uncommon thing. Mm. Uh, we had an intention. I mean, this it wasn't necessarily the exact pathway we envisaged, um, but this was the intention. And so it was, it was nice that it sort of came into place. So that happened towards the end of last year. I still work at Brisbane Skin. I'm still uh, the clinical lead and I'm the founder. My passion is, um, particularly scar treatments, so complicated acne, traumatic burn scars, uh, post-surgical scars and later laser resurfacing and photo rejuvenation. And Trish is sort of, you know, helping, helping the group transition into sort of the, the next phase of the clinic and, um, we're also sort of at at this stage sort of uh, looking into our uh, next couple of projects, which will be online very shortly. And maybe at the next podcast, uh, we can talk about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm really fascinated. And um, look, this is um, listening to your journey. Obviously the clients that I work with are very typical of the clients you are, but you are a unique person in that you're the doctor entrepreneur and that you understood that you could set up your practice for a sale, which is quite exciting. With that sort of maybe because we, we are actually going to be putting out a podcast in the very near future with the lawyer to talk about setting up your practice for a sale. So if I was to say to you right back when you were had Brisbane Skin right at the beginning and you bought into that practice, was that something that you did with a view, knowing that you were going to head in this direction or did those opportunities present themselves to you a little bit on, along the way?
1: So my original practice was called Side Dermatology and, and uh-huh. that's the one I bought into. It grew organically. You know, there was no there was no end game for that practice. It grew organically and it became, you know, it became a very big practice and very proud to say it was one of, um, you know, one of the big medical anesthetic dermatology practices in the country, but very organic with no real end plan or end game. Brisbane skin, Patricia and I set up with a very targeted view and a very specific end game. Um, So the plan was, you know, at 10 years to be able to, you move on to the next stage with that clinic, you know, and, and, you know, there's, there's various options with that, whether, you know, we're selling it to a colleague or uh, one of the juniors, or if we can talk to uh, private equity and venture capital, then um, that that we we were open to that. So we, we were very aware of that from day dot. So we built it up as a dermatology practice, but with all the surrounding services around it. So the cosmetic services, not Relying um, uh, solely on me or the other dermatologists, but, you know, building a practice around the nurses, therapists and and setting up some very solid systems and protocols from day dot. And it's much easier when you come in brand new and start it off and set it up like that as opposed to going into a pre-existing um, establishment because there's um, it's difficult to change things that are already there and, and there's cultural shift associated. Mm-hmm. Um, so two different clinics and two different ways that we plan to sort of progress with the, the practices.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. It's quite exciting that the fact that you had a plan and it's come to fruition is very exciting.
1: There's plenty of other plans that didn't come to fruition. So <laughs> you break a lot of eggs on, on the oh, way. Um, so there's, it was as, as you can imagine. So this was nice, but it certainly, um, it wasn't wasn't wasn't, glory from day dot. There's a lot of ups and downs on on
0: Uh, that. Oh, I could imagine. Uh, Are there any that you could share with us? Thinking back about the business to say, well, if we had done that a bit differently, it could have turned out different again.
1: Yeah, I think, look, Oh, there's, there's so many learn, learnings over the years. I guess you know. Uh, I think I mentioned it at the start. It was supposed to be just for my ego. It was supposed to be just purely a, an aesthetic practice, a boutique aesthetic practice, until we understood that the uh, the medical need was so uh, so vital and could end up being a um, uh, not just a great service provision for patients. For that but also a significant part of the business that we uh, we embraced I, I wouldn't i wouldn't um at the start I, I i had had quite severe disagreements with trish about that i wanted it to be purely aesthetic there's other things you know with with some of the previous practices some of the um um we went through stages where uh, we were uh, approached by companies to Um, you know, potential acquisitions and things like that. And um, we were very green with that. We didn't understand how that all worked. And and sometimes in that situation, you get guided or you get driven as opposed to driving uh, the process yourself. And, you know, there's one, for instance, that took us for a ride for two and a half, three years and nothing came at the end of it. And that then builds a, a very uncertain culture within the, the business itself, because people don't know what's happening. You know, it's uh, the uncertainty itself and um, the lack of a finish line makes it very difficult for people, uh, not just yourself, but for your team, your staff, your senior management. Mm. Um, so these, I mean, those are, those are some of the things that we've understood and will will do differently <laughs> moving forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, look, I can appreciate that working with a lot of businesses. There is that understanding that, you know, you've almost got to prepare your practice for that business sale, but the terms and the negotiations also can drag on. And I suppose that there needs to be some sort of professional guidance in regards to negotiating those processes
1: absolutely and and like like what you're doing with with people and giving them the guidance and giving them some background this sort of forum where you're giving people an opportunity to discuss their experiences i think that's vital and because otherwise uh, you know i i had mentors outside of dermatology, outside of medicine that I've got some uh, tips from. But you're not taught this in medical school, and you're certainly not taught this in your specialty training here. These are things you need to get some, um, some good solid guidance and advice and read around it perhaps.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I do agree. And that's that's why I have a business and we work in these particular areas because your value proposition as a specialist is very high with all your years of training. But surrounding yourself with the right advisors, I do agree that it's very important to do. Shobhan, you mentioned that you had no choice but to continue providing medical dermatology, even though you had the thought of having an aesthetic only approach so that is a challenge isn't it because a lot of businesses don't have that challenge you know that there is that need to meet the medical you know need from from referrers and and from patients so how did you juggle that and in bringing those into your practice
1: it was tricky. We had to get the right people on board. We had to expand and think laterally about how we provide those services as well. As you probably know, there's not a lot of dermatologists in the country, and there's a very small group in Queensland. And you know, every year you get five new grads or you know, 10 new grads on a good year, but you know, five new grads, it's pretty pretty standard. And there, the statistics show that we, we're going to undersupply dermatology in the country over the next decade. Unfortunately, that's the situation at the moment until funding and structures change. So as a private practice in an area where there were patients who needed to be seen and a group of general practitioners who were getting cranky that you weren't providing medical services, Mm -hmm. we had to expand our our service provision there and be able to supply some option for patients. So we we created a number of um, clinics there within the practice Not all of them necessarily run by myself, but we had clinics run by general practitioners. We had uh, junior uh, doctors who were getting onto the dermatology program. We became an accredited dermatology training facility for Australia. So we did that, and I was director of training for a number of years here for Queensland. So we had registrars, being able to see patients. We still have registrars from New Zealand. So every year I have one or two uh, Kiwi registrars now. Mm-hmm. And this year we'll have our first Sri Lankan registrar as well, So, which is where I'm originally from. So it's nice for me to be able to sort of um, start some of those ties professionally as well. And also then we had nurse run clinics. over the years, I trained three or four nurse practitioners who could uh, autonomously see patients and, and work hand in hand with the the dermatologists. So we had to create these things because um, we just didn't have that many dermatologists um, and and you had you had to have dermatologists who were right fit who could work with you um, and work uh, in your particular practice and no, you know, as as nice a guy I am, I, I'm hard to deal with sometimes. So it's um, <laughs> you you need to have people you gel with and have the same philosophy and ethos. So that's why we had to expand how we provided the service. And the other thing is, we also created clinics outside of metropolitan Brisbane where people didn't want to go. You know, dermatologists didn't want to go practice over there. So we had to run nurse-led clinics who could, where we could service acne psoriasis vitiligo eczema we were doing telehealth well before telehealth had to provide how to prescribe a, provider, had a prescriber number provide a number um because we needed to do it so we had a private practice tele uh, dermatology company back in 2012 called skin by derms where we initially sort of um, uh, did some of the prototype um, telehealth services for non-metropolitan regional australia um which then I utilize in some of the non-metropolitan Brisbane skin sites to be able to monitor, treat and look after patients even though I don't get a chance to get there or the other so I don't get a chance to get there. Um, so it's about thinking laterally. There's so many options now when Skin by Derm started for instance internet connection was terrible NBN was, was still wasn't up there drop to were common. Zoom didn't exist. It, it was just awful to try to do it. Whereas now, twenty twenty two, it's you know this is very standard for us to be able to offer this, uh, and patients are much more comfortable with it as well because you know pandemic and post pandemic, this is uh, this is our new norm.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I would imagine that pre pandemic, uh, you would have been seen as an outlier, uh, disruptor. You know, people. We're not really comfortable with that sort of people doing this type of thing. But it was this amazing baptism of fire in the two years of the COVID pandemic that suddenly things that you were doing before are quite standard now. And to my thoughts, there's the opportunities in this sort of virtual world actually haven't been optimised. There's a lot of opportunities in that area moving forward, which I'm sure you're thinking about.
1: I agree completely, I, th- I think they, they're still, I mean, we've come a long way in the last two, three years and uh, I think now that people are embracing it, I think there's lots of opportunity, especially in a in a wide, wide land like, uh, like we have here in Australia. I think it's certainly, uh, there's a lot of opportunities and uh, a great chance to provide services for people who were really struggling to get access in the past.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's that perspective too, but there's also, the customer service aspect where you've got people who can't get to a doctor's appointment because they're busy executives or professionals as well. I know that in that sort of GP world now people are more than happy to pay a completely private consult with no Medicare rebate just so they know they've got that 15-minute consult with the doctor at their disposal at the desk, you know, that concierge sort of a model. It's very interesting how that, the landscape's really changing
1: certainly has mm.
0: Yes so um what I might ask you about also because being such an entrepreneurial doctor, can we talk about the Brisbane skin and the brand and did you make a conscious plan on building that brand or what, what was that sort of branding journey for you when you started out?
1: Brisbane <laughs> Brisbane skin we, Trish Trish and I we signed the we, we bought the property. Signed, bought various you know, entities for the company. We went down to Sydney for an event, and we were flying back. and We were on the plane; still remember this vividly. And we were workshopping names, and Brisbane Skin was something that the both of us came up on on the back of a, a Qantas napkin. <laughs> and I'm happy we came up with that because certainly, in terms of the the, the as a as a name and as a brand. Uh, it was you know it's memorable. it's easy. if I could do things again, maybe um, I'd, I'd maybe not keep it as Brisbane. Maybe I would have thought something more larger, but certainly it it gave an opportunity for us to sort of build that. then you obviously would get the right sort of uh, uh, marketing people and the logo people to build all build around it. but then it was about sort of building the the brand of Brisbane skin versus the brand of me and mm-hmm. We made a conscious decision at the the start not to have it overwhelmingly being a Dr. Nahrung brand, but being a Brisbane Skin brand. So based around protocols that I've established, and obviously utilizing um, my experience and my my expertise and my love and interest in various aspects of dermatology, but introducing you know emphasizing the team, emphasizing the surrounding services, and emphasizing. Brisbane Skin as a, as a dermatology model for um, a, a unique dermatology model in Queensland. Um, and so there was lots of back and forths with it. We went through numerous PR and marketing agencies. Um, and to be honest, I think you know, Trish did most of the work there. I don't think... Um, it, you know we, we we were back and forth with a lot of things yeah. um and then over time it got you know it it it, it grew it got momentum and it, it became a, a brand that was very you know with with all of these brands as well you need to then uh, provide a, a an appropriate high level service otherwise you know the brands come and go so we had to gain the trust of gps around the area we had to uh, have, have patients who had good experiences and we had to spend time sort of building patient journeys and building staff who could sort of you know we we always say it with dermatology and australia is just starting to embrace this um that uh, uh, every every Australian really should have a dermatologist and they should be a dermatology. Every Australian should have a dermatologist for the long term. So it's about sort of guiding them long term and giving them journeys and maintenance plans and making them a, a partner. We could call them a partner for skin health long term. So that's all part of our branding and part of our philosophy and things that we've worked very hard. And then I've really got to thank uh, Trish for that. I think she uh, she's done the bulk of the work with that.
0: No, it's fantastic. It's interesting you say that um, when I'm working with businesses, especially in areas of medicine, such as dermatology, that it's not just a one episode for your patient. And I know they do this in the US very, very well. We we really need to do it better in Australia is you should take that patient and have them for life, really, because the skin is and the dermatology needs are ever evolving, whether it's aesthetic or medical. And um, that an entire family, in fact, should belong to a dermatology practice and for growing a business, that's the key. The key is for you to manage the patient and say, Hanya, it's time for you to come back for or our plan is.
1: Yes, in- and you need to send your dad over and you need yes. to send your daughter over and, you know, and, and just making that all part of part of a, a long-term family plan. So, oh, I'm exactly. Exactly.
0: Great opportunities there. Absolutely. So Shobhan, you were um, obviously the director of a very busy business and I'm imagining you've got some sort of personal life. <laughs> Tell me about how, how did you balance those two parts of your life and what does that other part of your life, what kind of interests do you have?
1: As you know, balance is tough, especially when you're running small businesses, right? So um, we've been running small businesses in various forms for a number of years. I've worked with my wife in these many of these small businesses. So the uh, one of the problems you face is that you go to work and you do, you know, you work together at work, and then you come home, and then you do more work and you talk about work. And and so we one of the things we started doing was scheduling work time at home. Otherwise, outside of which, we weren't doing work otherwise you really get uh, you end up losing a lot of yourself time and your family time we have two two young kids uh, five and a, a two year-old so um, mm-hmm. the, the, the kids take up a lot of our time in in, in the most beautiful way you know, we're as we're speaking we're actually down at the Gold Coast this weekend with with the kids we have a place over here that we, we spend time with and um, we you know we, we love Traveling now that the borders are open again. You know, as a family, we we travel and we'll we'll start doing overseas travels again. I'm a I'm a football tragic at heart. So oh, which uh, soccer 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 tragic. So
0: uh, yeah, um, know, your I, team? I, I, I'm.
1: Uh, uh, my international well, my club team internationally is Manchester United, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, they okay. <laughs> But we've unfortunately tough tough couple of seasons for us and it might be tough for a little bit longer, but you know. I'm, they, I'm still,
0: are you following the Australian
1: league? Uh not so closely, not so closely with the Australian. We still play here. We and I've got I've got friends and we we know people who play in the, the local league. So we, we do sort of keep an eye a little bit, but probably not as close as is it like to
0: did play? Did you
1: play yourself? Yeah, I played for many years, and even now we've we've sort of gotten back into playing what I call it old man old man football. <laughs> and uh, a group of us who have been friends together since we we're about 14, 16 years old, we we still kick the football around. And these mm-hmm. days, our our kids join us for it, so it's uh, um, it's interesting. We've got the whole, whole next generation joining us as well. So you know, between family, football, and travel, and um, you know, just try try to get that balance in our lives um, yeah. i've got a very large extended family as well so there's always you know there's always family around and whether it's you know here in brisbane or interstate or overseas there's always the opportunity to catch up with with, uh, yeah, with my, um, loved ones
0: A Sri Lankan family there's uh, i'm imagining a beautiful food involved as well <laughs>
1: there's there's always beautiful food there's yes. always oh, uh, lots lot, lots lots of food lots of wine um <laughs> lots of good times music <laughs> Well, Shabini, I think
0: you've pretty much, when we were talking about your business and what decisions would you have made differently, I usually ask at the end, but I feel that we've sort of touched on that in that you were saying that you wish you had more advisors that understood this space a lot more and could prepare you. So I'm going to change my question for you a bit differently is where do you think that area of dermatology and aesthetic dermatology is going to be heading moving forward?
1: Well, it's, you know that's a that's a it's a good question. It's a broad question, I guess. Um, there's two sides of that. Um, there's the, the the clinical side of things in Australia. I think dermatologists are trying to claim more of a um, a stake in the in the aesthetic field, and we've always thought and known that we're very good at it. We we're, were supposed to be the experts in in all matter is skin and, and aesthetics but maybe we haven't gotten that messaging across to the general public quite as well as some of our counterparts here do or our, our dermatology colleagues in North America do for instance so I'm part of the ASCD the Australasian Society of Cosmetic Dermatologists I'm on the board um, and we are you know a, a big part of sort of um uh, being able to give that information across that we we are the leaders in skin health, but also uh, a, a key stakeholder in the in the space of aesthetic medicine and aesthetic dermatology, and I really do believe that you know with the efforts of ASCD and you know, the College of Dermatology. Uh, the College Dermatologists sort of uh, hopefully embracing that um, over the next few years as well, that we'll have a bigger, um, bigger presence in that space. And people will, will, if they have a skin question or if they have an aesthetic question, really think about their dermatologists, ask your derm, um, mm. you know, because, you know, that's what we're here for. That's what we've really specialized in for, for many, many years. Mm. So that's one side of things. The the, the perception, the edu- uh, public education, and the, the knowledge and sharing that knowledge is important. I think clinically, there, there's advances every year, and particularly in aesthetic dermatology, and it's, that's always exciting. That's the reason I mm-hmm. got into aesthetic dermatology and, and uh, energy based devices. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always great, and it's always you know, every year, every conference, every. Uh, seminar we're we're learning something new and there's always progression you know it doesn't have to be a new laser every year but sometimes it's just a a new technique on an old laser or a new uh, way of delivering a, a service or delivering a, a medication onto onto a site so that's interesting and that's the other part of it in terms of um aesthetic businesses i think um I think it's interesting. I think we're in a very interesting time. And I said this when people asked me about our sale last year. I think there's a lot of interest in the aesthetic space and a lot of interest in dermatology aesthetics and, and marrying up dermatology clinics with cosmetic clinics and and you know potentially plastics clinics as well. But certainly dermatology and cosmetic clinics marrying up over time. There's hub and spoke models that can be really well established and lots of collaborative things that can be done. Um, whereby one clinic services and one one practitioner services can really sort of feed into another group of clinics or another uh, completely another different sort of uh, um, um, set of services. So I think that'll be interesting and I think there'll be more and more interest in that over the next five years coming forward. So uh, watch mm-hmm. that space. I think it'll be very interesting and you're, you're going to be run off your feet, honey. you? You'll, 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 <laughs> yeah, you'll have up. people no, uh, <laughs> knocking on your uh, door.
0: I agree. Uh, in fact, that's already, how I've got plastic surgery clients and the opportunity of derms coming in with the aesthetic there and vice versa, derms with plastic. The surgical and um mix with what you guys do and that level of expertise, each of you with six years plus training, you know, in your specialty and bringing that level of expertise together is very unique and amazing value proposition moving forward. Yes, it's already happening. I'm gonna say that, so it's all very exciting. Um, Now, Chauvin, I'm gonna ask you a question. Who inspires you?
1: Look, there's there's probably there are a lot of people that inspire me, and and I think in my head I always I've been asked this question before, and I, I tend to split it up into people who inspire me professionally, and then per, people who inspire me in my personal life, and people who inspire me professionally are people who've been trailblazers or. Um, who've been disruptors in their field or have, you know, made immense changes. So, you know, the Mandela's in the political and human rights sphere and, and, um, you know, the Muhammad Ali's in the sporting slash um, the human rights sort of side of things um, you know in, in in lasers and you know professionally you know the likes of Rox Anderson and Chris Zachary those those guys that I've always looked up to and even here in Australia the guys like Phil or and Greg Goodman who've sort of mentored me and, and uh, taught me things over the years so those are the guys that I look up to professionally um, and then personally the, the it probably comes down to you know, two big um, big influences in my life. My, my father, who taught me the value of hard work and, and education and sort of sacrificed lots in his life so that we, myself and my, my sister, who's a pediatric oncologist, could achieve things that we really wanted to. And he was very proud of. Um, and my wife, Patricia, who she's a rock in the, the, the stability in our family, but is also my business partner and best friend. A, we have brilliant sounding board the analytics behind the, the, the menaharan brand she's the one that that uh, is involved in in a lot of the things that that you don't hear about on you know when we do podcasts and and when you get the newspaper articles and things like that uh, um it's because she's built what menaharan brand has become and, and brisbane skin was was her baby she was the managing director of brisbane skin so so that, those are the inspirations in my life it's nice that uh, Uh, nice to be able to take little bits from all of these great inspirations around me.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like you've been surrounded by wonderful people, both professionally and and personally. Uh, Shobhani, if I was to ask you if you had an opportunity to speak to your younger self, what would you say?
1: Words of wisdom. Uh, Words of wisdom to my younger self smell the roses a little bit more take it all in a little bit more i think we get so caught up in especially when you're in uh, in a profession or an industry where it's always go 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 and you're always going moving from one stage to the other and you're sitting one exam moving to the other starting one business moving moving to the next point of that business it's important to be able to and i'll, I'll tell this to my kids as well that to be able to take in the the nice things in life around you or, or just the experiences in life around you and not, not miss out on that um and, and don't do it behind the camera lens or behind an iPhone. You, you know, take it in yourself and yeah. enjoy it yourself. I think that's that's critical. The other thing I'd probably say is that uh, value your time. And I, I tell this to my registrars all the time. The most important thing that you have when you, you know, eventually if you're a busy individual um, is your time. And I'd much rather spend my time with my family, doing things that I enjoy, looking after health, looking after the people around me, then, then washing a car or, you know, your, your time becomes so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, it's also important to be judicious about it. So when earlier in my career, I'd sign up to everything. If anyone asked me to speak at anything, even if there's four people turning up, I'll go and i will speak. And, you know, if I, and anyone wanted to come into the practice, if they wanted to spend work experience and, Junior doctors, whatever we'd let, we'd spend time with everyone. But what what you forget is there is a finite amount of time, and you end up overstretching yourself, and you you end up not necessarily giving the best amount of your time to the people around you who are requesting it, and you don't get a chance to decompress yourself. So it's really about time and being able to you know, taking the good experiences in life.
0: Great advice, and I would totally agree with you that your time is even more valuable than any money you can produce because yep. you, it is so finite. That's great advice. Well, Chauvin, thank you so much for your time today. I'm really looking forward to hearing about your future projects. Um, perhaps when they're launched, we could reconnect and have a chat about those. But thank you so much for your time today and uh, good luck with all your future ventures.
1: Thanks, Hanya. It's been great chatting and um, all the best on your end as well. I'm sure, like I said, you'll be super busy over the next little while. Um, And uh, thanks for having me. It's a great great podcast that you have.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Doctor Diaries. You can find out more about our amazing guests on our website, hanyaroversby.com.au, or join our Instagram page, Dr Diaries Podcast, to find out more about our podcasts.
1: We look forward to you joining us again.